0: Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. So the personal tidbit about me today is that when I lived in Kenya, I lived in the Turkana region of Kenya, so the northwest corner of the country up near Uh, southern sudan and uganda if you look at a map i was uh, close to the western shore of lake turkana about midway down the lake there's three islands and i was near the middle island so um it was you know very hot desert um tough climate but awesome people so and if if you jump in on one of these podcasts and you're like, why does he share this personal information? I really just hope it's a way for you to get to know me better. Not just my business background, but just me. So if we were talking in person, I would be open and you would I would share information about me, right? And I hope someday I meet a whole bunch of you in person um, at an event then you will feel like you know me, and we'll get to know each other personally. But until we get to do that in this format, uh, I feel like it it would help for me to just share some information so you know a little bit more about me, who I am, and i am I'm not some all-knowing guru. I'm just a guy, a real guy who invests in real estate and likes to teach and share information. I'm just sharing with you what I've learned. So hope that helps. All right, hello everybody. Today's topic is one of those that nobody hopes they ever have to deal with in real estate investing, but if you're a buy and hold investor, sooner or later, you're probably gonna have to deal with it. So that is evictions. For a lot of people, until you go through an eviction, It's kind of overwhelming. You're not sure how it's going to work or how it should work. And in reality, it's just a systematic legal process, and it's really not that difficult, not that big a deal. So we'll go through step by step what's involved, what you should do, so that it's nice, smooth, easy. Okay. So number one, I'm going to just talk about an eviction due to non-payment of rent. So, there are other reasons you can evict somebody, but the legal process kind of changes for those other reasons. Or the notices you need to serve in the process um, would be different based on a different situation. So, for non-payment of rent, if someone doesn't pay their rent and um, you want to start that process, the first thing is to serve them a notice to vacate. So here in Ohio, that is a three day notice. Other states, it's different days, number of days. So check your state, your regulations, and see how many days you have to give. So here in Ohio, we have to give three days notice unless uh, the resident is in Section 8 program, then they get a 10 day notice. So you serve that notice, Um, in general, we post it on the door, but Some people post it on the door, mail another copy. Um, A lot of times we'll email them just stating what they owe. Because even when we serve notice, we don't want them to actually be evicted still, right? We're just showing them that we're serious and we're professional and we abide by the lease. And we're going to follow that lease and what it says so that if they're thinking maybe, we're going to be unprofessional or acting like a little mom and pop operation and uh won't uh, follow the rules or take action they're wrong so we're going to set that standard so that they know they have to pay the rent so you serve that notice let's say we serve our notice we post it on the door three days later we haven't heard from them they haven't set up a payment plan they haven't paid their rent so at that point We're going to go ahead and turn in all the information to, um, the attorney. Now at this stage in our business, I use an attorney, but in the beginning, um, I represented myself in court, the houses were in my personal name. I would represent myself. I would take my, my documents down to the courthouse and file. And then I would show up on the day of court and I would go in there with my information. And when they called my case, I would walk up and there were three things you had to say. So if you ever, if you want to represent yourself, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you do, um, when you go down to the courthouse, usually the lawyers go first. And I would just watch what everybody else says because it's a very set script, what you say. And then you're gonna to wanna to say the same things, right? So um, when I would represent myself, I would go to forward when they called my name, called our case, and I would say what my name is. I am Chad Harris, or my name is Chad Harris. I am the owner of the property. I seek restitution for non-payment of rent. Those are the three things you have to say. And so the judge would sit there and wait for me to say those three things. And then um, it, she would, or the judge would offer for the resident to uh, make a complaint or an argument against it. But in general, there's no argument against it. And so it would be granted restitution. So if you represent yourself, it's really not that difficult. Um, it's just, it can, it, uh, can be involved. So a lot of people worry about kind of the confrontational nature of it with their residents. Maybe that resident is going to be angry with me or yell at me or um, whatever they're worried about. But in reality, I had tenants who thanked me after I evicted them. I represented myself. They showed up. The judge granted me restitution and said they owed me money. And then the tenant thanked me and we walked out which sounds weird, but they knew they were wrong. They knew they owed rent. Um, They knew that they were gonna lose the court case, but I was always friendly to them. I was always nice and upfront and transparent with them. And so I never had any issues. Um, I wouldn't really worry about it. So if your properties are in an LLC, um, then generally you can't represent yourself. So all of our properties are no longer in my name. And so I don't represent myself anymore. So now the process is, once somebody hasn't taken action after the three days of that notice period, then I just call the attorney and submit my information and pay the fee. So the information I'm gonna submit to them is a copy of the notice that I served if you haven't served notice yet or you haven't gone through that process, I would reach out to your attorney and make sure your notice is good. So a couple of times I have served notices that uh, didn't meet the legal requirements. And so at that point, when I submitted the notice to the attorney, he said it wasn't correct. And so I had to go serve another notice, which just delays the process another three days right? It's not the end of the world, but you want to do it right the first time and your lawyer will want to do it right the first time. So go ahead and reach out to them. You can either show them your notice and make sure it qualifies. Or um, when I had the notice that I was using wasn't good enough, I just asked my lawyer. I said, hey, what's a good notice to use? And they just sent it to me. So, and that's the one I still use today. Sometimes there's a little variation on the notice, Um, like I said, if it's a Section 8 resident or other situations. So if it's an odd situation, just check with your attorney. Okay, so I'm going to turn in a copy of the notice um, that shows that I served legal notice. I'm going to give them a copy of the tenant ledger, and that shows that the tenant is behind on rent. And it shows how much the lawyer should file for um, to be granted in restitution or how much the court will say that tenant owes us. So we can then submit that to the collection agency. Um, And if there's, at at different times it changes with the court what they need, but sometimes we have to sign papers that show we are the owner or we, the owner of the LLC. So whatever documents you need to sign with your lawyer so that you don't actually have to go to court, I would go ahead and sign those and then the lawyer can represent you fully. So submit all your information, make your payment to the lawyer or to your attorney, and then they will take it from there. So they'll file, they'll let you know when the date is, the actual court date, and then usually Um, our attorney checks with me like a day before the court date to see if the tenant's moved out. Because when we go in and have the actual court hearing, um, if the tenant's not out or if I haven't received keys, then I'll have uh, my attorney go ahead and pay the money for the bailiff and get that scheduled. So kind of the sequence of events, if that uh, tenant doesn't do anything, is I'm going to serve that 3-day notice. At the end of the 3 days I'm going to submit my paperwork to the attorney and they'll file and begin the process. And then on the day of the the hearing when we win the judgment and get our restitution or receive our restitution, then I'm going to have them schedule with the bailiff to come out and give us possession of the property. So right now it's about what, three days for the notice, about three weeks for your court uh, date. And then when you hire the bailiff, I think it's about five days right now. So you've got about a month from when you serve notice to when you would actually receive the property back um, if you're in evictions. So, but the, the reason for the bailiff is even though the court says you get possession of that property back, if the tenant hasn't left, you still can't legally go in there and change the locks or shut off the water, move their stuff out, whatever you would want to do in some emotional state. So you have to wait those five days and then the bailiff comes out you meet them at the house. And if the tenant hasn't moved out, they will move the tenant out um, physically remove them from the property and you receive possession, legal possession of the property. So, some things you want to be prepared for um, if you go through that whole process is when you go to meet the bailiff, you need to have either a rekey kit or new locks. So, you don't want a situation where you receive the property back from the bailiff the bailiff says nobody's in the house you lock it up but you haven't received keys from the tenant and you leave and then the tenant comes back and gets in the house again so you want to make it so if they re-enter the house they have committed a crime and broken in all right so we always change the locks i'll go in make sure all the first floor windows are closed um, just make sure there's no way for them to get in. If it's a really rough area, sometimes we'll, um, screw side doors shut or back door shut. Or we used to put kind of like bars across the inside of the back door, which is a whole another story. I can tell you all about another time how to keep people out of the house, but in generally just change the locks and make sure the old tenant can't get back in. Another key thing to uh, think about in this whole process is that once you file with the attorney, you file for eviction, you can't accept money from the tenant. So as soon as you accept any money from the tenant, that negates your three-day notice and negates your uh, ability to win at the court hearing. So if you accept money in person, Obviously, don't meet the tenant and don't take money. If you accept money in a mailbox, you're going to need to return that money um, to the tenant. If you accept it online, which we do, we get all of our rents online, then um, your our management system has you know a little checkbox that you can just say they're under eviction, we don't accept money anymore. And so we can block their account and, and make it so that they can't, pay money. If it's a situation where we still want them to pay, then we'll add the fees from the lawyer to their bill. And then there's another checkbox you can check that says they can only pay in full. So they can't make, make a partial payment because you'll find that those, uh, professional, professional, uh, renters or professional headache tenants, they know the legal system, they know that if you they go past the three days and you file and then they give you 50 bucks, you have to start the whole process over again. They've been down this road many more times than you have probably. And so um, just make sure you don't accept any money. And if, if you accept money, you need to accept all of the money that they owe and then that would negate the need for the court hearing right because they're going to stay in the house at that point which is fine and uh, ideally is what you want anyway so those are the key things to think about Um, when you do meet the bailiff i still would not uh, look at it as something confrontational or something crazy you know the bailiff's just doing their job let them do their job. You don't have to do anything for them. You've already paid for them to do their job. Let them do their job and then just go in and change the lock. So that's it. If you want to have a handyman do it, you can have a handyman do it. Have have a contractor meet the bailiff at the appointed time. That's fine too. Um, it's really not a complicated process. So a couple problems that people have is they think that it's an emotional thing, and they get really frustrated and angry with the tenant who isn't paying rent. When in reality, that is just a fact of being a landlord. There are going to be tenants who don't pay rent. If you've never thought about that, let this be the day that your eyes are opened and you realize that's just a fact of the business. And it is not personal. It's not because they don't like you, or uh, <laughs> that you made them angry in some way. Um, generally, they don't pay rent because they have some kind of personal issue going on um, that you know caused them to have extra expenses, or they had um, a problem with their income. You know, they got sick and missed work for a while. The car broke down and they had to get it fixed and therefore didn't have money for rent. So a lot of our tenants really at any price point of rental, but you know, as you get into higher price point rentals, obviously the financial stability of those tenants is better, but I think it's the reality of any uh, renter is that they don't have a lot of savings. That's not true for all, but I'm just saying in general, they don't have a lot of savings. And so if something happens, some unexpected um, expense and they get behind, then they're going to have trouble making it up. And you may be tempted to help them out, work on a payment plan, help them get through this situation. And I have tried all different ways and I am, you know, for anybody who knows me personally, I want it to work out for the resident, right? I'm looking for a situation where everybody benefits, they're happy with the house, I'm happy as the owner or property manager. And so if it's, let's say it's an odd glitch situation, they're a great tenant, then yeah, I'm going to schedule a payment plan with late fees and everything else that the lease says, But I'm going to work with them. If they're a constant headache, then I'm probably not. If I've tried to uh, help them out one time and let them do a payment plan and they didn't stick to the dates they said they were going to pay, then I'm not going to really believe them moving forward. So I'm all for helping them, um, but completely, in my experience, helping them is giving them structure and letting them know what the real rules are and then following the rules. Empowering them in bad financial habits, uh, letting them always pay late and um, set up payment plans and not sticking to it and disappearing when the, the rent was supposed to be paid on the payment plan, none of that really helps them, okay? And if a tenant gets more than a month behind on their rent, the odds of them making that up are very small. You know, we've had probably, I can think of a few instances where it was around uh, tax return time in the spring that some tenants made up, uh, you know, large deficits. But in general, once they get more than a month behind, it's just not going to work. So it's kind of up to you if you want to, try the payment plan that's good but if they don't stick with it and you can tell they're getting further behind it's time for both of you to move on and that's not being mean or cruel that's just being responsible and it's not being mean or cruel to them it's just that we live in a financial world financial world has consequences so if we don't pay the mortgage the bank will foreclose. If they don't pay the rent, we as the owner or manager will evict. That's life. So that's my two cents on it. All right, so let's say everything goes great, you get the property back. Then the last steps are to walk through the property, assess what damages there are, and take pictures, take notes, because then you need to make a uh, report that says what they were charged for, how much of their deposit goes back or gets returned to them and how much of the deposit was used to cover damages. And one thing I would recommend with that is always use a move out packet or move out process with your residents, even if they're in evictions even if they are a royal pain in the rump to deal with, send them the information so that they know what you're gonna look for for damages and what the charges would be. Because no matter what type of person they are, they're gonna look for that deposit to come back and want it back. And a lot of times um, it was really surprising to me in the early years that a lot of times when people were evicted, I thought they were, I guess my expectation was they were kind of trying to cheat me or, you know, they were being cruel. I looked at it more emotionally. Reality is they had a financial hardship and they couldn't make it up. It had nothing to do with me. So when I sent them the move out process, and what I was looking for, and how as a responsible resident in the house, they should return it to the way it was uh, given to them. Then even though they were getting evicted, they would still do their best to return the property in that condition, which was eye-opening for me. So if somebody is moving out on a normal process or they're being evicted or whatever the situation is, Uh, inform them, educate them on what that move out process is, how they're supposed to return the house to you um, and what things are considered damages. So once you get the property back, you're gonna go through, you're gonna make your list, what things they get billed for. Then you're going to go back, make a, uh, it's called a disposition disposition letter where you explain what the charges um, were how much of their deposit they get back and include that with any money they receive. If um, they don't receive any of their deposit back, still send them the letter with the charges they're owed. So I've never had anybody receive the letter that says that all of their deposit was used up and they owe me an additional $1,000. I have never had anybody just send me that check for $1,000, but I have had people down the road a year or two years later pay that off. So at the time they move out, um, obviously they were having some kind of financial issue if they left and they had a balance owed, but down the road, a year or two, they may be in a much different financial situation and want to pay you back. So go through that whole process, even if you think it's hopeless, even if you're all emotional and uh, you're angry about it, follow the process, follow the system, beginning to end. All right. So once you make your list of repairs or damages, then add to that repairs needed for your for it to be rent ready again. Because sometimes it's not necessarily damage. Um, It's not that the tenant did something to hurt the property, but when you're there, you see that something should be done. So add that, then you have a full scope of work for the turn to get it rent ready again. And you can do that all at the same time. You can give that to your contractors, handyman, whatever, and let them get started um, so that it will be rent ready. A lot of times I'll go ahead and list the property using pictures from the earlier listing too, just to get that ball rolling. So I hope that helps. Um, Definitely keep track of all your communication with your tenants, keep track of all payments and charges with your tenants and the better records you have, the easier an eviction will go. And with uh, all the property management software that's available, you should be able to do that very easily, make the process fluid. So I hope that helps. And one final note, actually, one final note. If you are really worried about an eviction, if you think it's like just really going to hamper your Business numbers, and you're going to have a month without rent from that property, maybe two months after you get it listed again, and you know, before they move in, then I would say you need some more units. So, if you have two rentals and you have an eviction, well, then it's a big deal because your income has been cut 50%. But if you have 20 units, it's not as big an issue. You have 50 units, it's really not a big issue. It's just part of the business. So if the idea of not having rent for a month stresses you out, really put in the effort, struggle, to build your portfolio bigger and uh, that will handle that risk. All right, until next time, keep building your dream life one door at a time.